0: everyone. Welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James. I'm your host. And today is episode 35. Now for today's show, it's April Fool's. And I promise this is not an April Fool's joke. But uh, I will be doing a different show today from what I normally do. Normally, I go into the history of a restaurant or food product. Today, I'm going to go into my personal history been spending some time over the past couple years with my grandma, going into some of her history and how it relates to food. And if any of you know my family, you know that everything we do, if you really want to get us engaged on a topic, if you really want to get us talking, it has to involve food. And so for today's episode, we're going to dive into that before I dive into what I have prepared for today. I want to make sure that everyone's staying safe and taking time uh, to spend time with people that, that mean the most to you. You know, a lot of us are likely locked up inside right now trying to stay safe, stay healthy. So just make sure that you reach out to a family member or a friend, someone that might need a little boost right now during this time. I know that they would definitely appreciate it. So again... Thanks for finding the podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about homesteading in Canada. Now, homesteading in Canada was no easy feat, still is no easy feat. With harsh and unforgiving climates, it can take patience and dedication. So, homesteading in Canada today is now largely a thing of the past. It's considered squatting. It's illegal. You can't just claim land for yourself anymore. Now, again, why am I talking about homesteading in Canada? So talking with my grandma, she ended up homesteading in Canada. She grew up in Kentucky and then ended up... uh, moving to Canada and getting married. And some of the most enchanting and romantic chapters of her life took place on a small Canadian homestead. So today I'm going to share a few of her adventures. And before I get to her stories, I feel the need to reflect a little bit about what's going on today and and to talk about it. In today's world It's no secret there's a major pandemic raging, we have many people falling seriously ill and dying with the coronavirus, and this virus seems to hit the elderly particularly hard. I won't make this a political post or episode, but I was disturbed, I've been disturbed for some time by some of the dialogue that's being thrown around on the internet why are we sacrificing our comforts, our economy, our way of life for people? How much do we truly value human life? How do I personally interpret these comments? Why are we doing so much just to save the elderly? Why are we sacrificing so much? Why are we blowing up the economy just to save the elderly? Now, we all know this impacts far more and kills more than just the elderly. But it's still something that gets kicked around. Oh, they're sick, they're going to die anyway, so we should just not worry about it. Now, I had an interesting chat with my grandparents a year ago in Milford, Utah. Milford's a small town in southern Utah, and they had just heard that an old Sunday school teacher had passed away. And this was an old Sunday school teacher from Kansas, from their time growing up in Kansas. They grew up in a small town in Kansas, and they were high school sweetheart, sweethearts, and my grandparents reminisced uh, about church socials and all the incredible food that came with them, and my mouth was watering just listening, and as the conversation drifted here and there, it, it, it drifted to how much is being lost today because we don't take the time to listen to our elders. Life is so busy, it's frantic, it's crazy. We tend to fill our lives with so much noise that we don't have time to stop and listen. And many today will also view the elderly as out of touch with current events and problems and unable to relate to what we're really going through today. And that's why for many, it's an easy choice. They're going to choose the economy their lifestyle, and their work over human lives. So why do I care personally? I grew up having a close relationship with both grandparents on both sides of the family. I grew up going to Milford, Utah. And again, it's that small town in southern Utah. It's a beautiful valley with a small population. And the sunsets are magnificent. They light the sky up on fire. And... I often felt from my visits that there is nothing as spectacular as a desert sunset. And once the sun went down, the sky would be splashed with brilliant stars. You could see satellites, constellations. It was breathtaking. You could see and observe the night sky exactly how God intended it. During the days, I'd spend my time fishing with Grandpa and listening to his stories and discovering new wisdom for life. And, of course, we always started those fishing trips with his famous pancake breakfast where you load up on the carbs and eggs and bacon and then head out the door for a day of fishing with some cold uh, cheese and ham sandwiches and chips that Grandma had packed. And, you know, I... I've grown a lot as an individual in my adult years from applying some of those conversations that I had with Grandpa Out Fishing. He always talked about life. He talked about work and savings and retirement and family and the things that really matter in life. And my grandparents are Passionate about family history. They rarely let an opportunity slide for sharing stories about the family. Historically, our elders were the record keepers in many civilizations throughout time Native Americans, uh, ancient Aztecs, Mayans, Romans, Europeans. I mean, you go to all these different cultures and you're going to find that the elders were respected and they handed down wisdom and stories through the generations. And much of that is lost today. We're content to put our elders in assisted living and get back to our busy lives. I worked directly with the elderly for six years, and I've seen that story play out again and again and again, where kids and grandkids call the shots on what's best for them, not what's best for their elders. And of course, the stories are what's truly sacrificed, and the wisdom is what's truly sacrificed. So how does this relate in any way to homesteading in Canada? You might be asking yourself that right now, and I'm going to answer that. My personal family history comes from my mom's side and obviously my dad's side. talked about my dad's side a moment ago. But my mom's side, I never knew my grandpa. He passed away when my mom was six years old. He was a rancher and homesteader in Canada. Met my grandma in Kentucky. They had a long-distance relationship through letters once he went back to Canada. And one day she received a letter from him that he was on his way to Kentucky with his parents to pick her up take her back to Canada, and marry him. And my grandma, more so her parents, were a little spooked by this and told her, no matter how expensive it was to call him, tell him not to come. Uh, However, by the time she got through, he had already left and was already on his way. She took the leap of faith and went with him when he arrived. They loved each other deeply and knew it would all work out. She went from being a country girl in the sticks of Kentucky to a homesteading rancher in Alberta, Canada. What a dramatic change in lifestyle and in scenery. So, like I mentioned, we can't talk about anything in my family unless food's involved. Otherwise, the conversation sputters and dies. We just don't talk unless we're talking about food. We're just so passionate about food. And from talking with my grandma and recording her stories, that theme just continues. She has a tremendous story in her life, and she does a really good job at capturing the emotion of those stories and the imagery and the setting of her life in Canada. And you might be wondering again what this has to do with a food history podcast. Well, my grandma's a tremendous cook. You know that being from Kentucky automatically makes you an amazing cook, right? That's how it works, right? Many of the stories my grandma has told me revolve around food. Mealtime was a huge part of her family life growing up. They'd have massive family dinners with grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins on both sides of her family in Kentucky. And naturally, I personally can't talk about my family history without talking about food. It's just intertwined. It's integral. So with my grandma's permission, I have a couple of the stories that she has sent me that outline her story and also some of her recipes. So as I go through this, I'm going to link to these recipes. I've, I've done blog posts on them in the past, so I'll just link to the posts as I go through these. And so if you are intrigued by some of the recipes and you want to have some of those recipes and cook them, they are delicious you won't be sorry. And if you're locked up in your house right now with nothing better to do, listen to the show. Go to toastykettle.com, find the recipe that you like, should be in the show notes, and just enjoy it. So, my grandpa's name was Delmer, my grandma's name is Betty. Delmer comes to get Betty. So this is from the words of my grandma. She wrote this. My world was very small when I was a young girl. I dreamed that I would meet a handsome young man who would take me away to see the world. I did meet a handsome man. He was tall with black curly hair and the bluest eyes I've ever seen. He was playing the guitar and singing some silly song at a party. He had already met my two sisters and they introduced me. I don't think I talked to him at all, but I did remember his funny accent. I could tell he was not from the United States. He was from Canada. I had a great aunt who had married a Canadian and her family had never seen her again. A voice in my head kept saying, remember, you wanted excitement. I learned my handsome young man was a cowboy. He even wore a white cowboy hat and boots. How romantic is that? When I learned he was leaving to go home, I thought I would never see him again. In those days, it was about... Twenty-five hundred miles, for someone who had never been more than fifty miles from where she was, from where she was born, it might as well have been the moon. He was living and working on a ranch in Hill Spring, Alberta. He didn't have a car, and of course there was no telephone. In those days, a telephone was only for emergencies. The rancher's wife drove to town once a month to pick up supplies and the mail for all the cowboys. This ranch was so big. It was measured in miles or townships. We began, a, uh, we began a 6 months romance by mail. We wrote each other every day. One day in May, the letter came. My folks and I are coming to get you. My mother will be a great chaperone. We can be married when we get to Alberta. That letter was the first one I showed to my mother. She told me regardless of how much it cost, I needed to call and tell him not to come. The phone rang about 10 times. In those days, we were all on on party lines. There were seven families on the same line as the Okie family. All of them could hear the phone ring and listen if they wanted to. Finally, one of the neighbors got tired of listening and answered the phone. She told me the Okies weren't home. Only the boy was there, and he was probably out milking the cows. She said they had gone to Kentucky to get their son's fiance. When I told my parents... They asked me what I planned to do. I told them I was going home with them. My dad took me to the nearest town 14 miles away and bought my wedding dress. My friends planned a bridal shower. They arrived in time for the shower. It took us five days to get to Alberta. I loved the trip. When we crossed the border in Montana at Sweetgrass, it felt like we left everything I'd ever known. All the roads were dirt. The only paved road I saw was the number one highway across Alberta. And that was not the one we needed. When we came to the Old Man River, there was no bridge. We crossed on a ferry, which was just a raft on cables, which only held one car at a time. Of course, there were no other cars in any direction. The old man running the ferry offered to take us for free if we had any good Yankee tobacco or whiskey. Needless to say, we had to pay full price. (laughs) My first impression of Alberta was its vastness and dryness. I had just left Kentucky with its verdant hills and hollows. How could I breathe when it was so dry? I decided I would just have to live inside. When we went through the border customs, I was interviewed by one of the officers. He took me into his office and asked lots of questions. He asked me what I would do if this young man changed his mind about marrying me, and I was so far from home. Such a thought had never entered my mind. I flippantly answered in my deep southern accent, I would call my daddy, and he would send me money or come get me. He just grinned and said, I'm sure he would, and I would too if I were him. He then assured me that he had interviewed my young man and didn't think I had anything to worry about. The farm work had been greatly neglected while they came to get me. Consequently, our wedding had to be postponed for a few weeks while they irrigated the crops. I spent a lot of time alone during the next few weeks. We were married June 8, 1957. We moved into a big old farmhouse. It was light and airy. However, there was no electricity and no indoor plumbing. The kitchen had cupboards along one wall. There was something called a dry sink by the door that held a water bucket and a pan for washing your hands. On the other side was a big old cook stove that burned wood or coal. In the next couple of years, I developed an intimate relationship with that stove. I learned how to stick my hand in the oven to see if it was hot enough to bake a cake or bread. I learned to hang a blanket in a room screen behind the rocking chair close to the stove when it was 50 below zero so I could rock my baby. I knew if I wanted hot water, I had to keep the reservoir and tea kettles full. There was no place to buy bread. Well, 20 miles away. Everyone made their own. I'd always considered myself a fast learner, and if my mother-in-law could do it, so could I. My mother never made yeast breads, and my mother-in-law had an electric stove. I watched her carefully during the few weeks before the wedding. She never seemed to use the same amount of ingredients. I asked her about that. She said she used what she had. I came to the conclusion it was all about the mixing, the temperature, and the kneading. The first bread I made in my new home was so bad, I took it out in my yard and parried it. I didn't want my new husband to see what a mess I had made of it. On Sundays after church, we took turns having extended family for dinner. He probably doesn't remember, but my husband's younger brother commented that it would be nice to afford bakery rolls. My husband was very proud, but he was proud of everything I did. Everyone wanted the recipe. Both our families call them Aunt Betty's rolls. When I got married, my mother-in-law gave me a few recipes she thought my husband liked. And she's talking in that about her recipe for quick rolls that she had, how they were so good that people thought they were store-bought and were jealous that they could do store-bought rolls. So the next story she had was about a cream separator. And the, the thing I love about her stories is this is a world that is so foreign from the one that she came from. Uh, again, she came from the rolling hills in Kentucky to the dry, arid climate of Alberta. And she's trying to learn all these new ways of handling, you know, uh, a wood stove and uh, trying to cook on all that equipment. So, here's what she has to say about a cream separator. The first thing I had to deal with in my n- new life was not the stove, but the refrigeration. In our backyard, we had what was called a flowing well. The water was about 40 degrees. It bubbled up out of the ground and flowed across the lawn, through the fence, and down through the pasture. There, it furnished drinking water for the cows. Someone had built a wooden frame in the well with a lid to keep out debris. To get water, all I had to do was lift the lid and dip my bucket into the ice cold water. If there could be one wooden frame, why not two? My Canadian cowboy became a carpenter. We built a good sized box, then we dug a hole in the runoff stream a couple of feet from the well. The water ran through the box about 8 inches deep. I sunk a bucket in one corner of the box to hold small things I wanted kept dry like mayonnaise milk cream and other containers set directly in the water this worked well in the summer the winter was altogether different our back porch opened into an unheated mudroom it also served as a room for our cream separator this was a machine that separated the cream from the milk and this was my biggest job the separator had to be taken apart and all the little parts washed every day I envied those farm wives with two sinks instead of the two big dish pans I found. I found out that most of these women only washed it once a week, but my mother did it every day, and so did I. They just ran water through. The mudroom worked, as, the mudroom worked well as a refrigerator until it turned into a freezer. Then we built a trap door in the pantry and a small cellar for our perishables. In the late summer, he plowed all the way around the house and used shovel to shovel and used a shovel to shovel the dirt up against the house. This was to keep the wind from blowing in under the house and make it easier to keep warm. So again, that's just a, a taste of what life was like in on a, a homestead in Canada. And the dramatic difference in life that she had from being around all of her friends and family and everything that was familiar in Kentucky to where she was at in Canada. Now, the one thing that I always loved about my grandma was her pies. I love her pies. They are so good. And anytime she would come for Thanksgiving, uh, she always brought a pecan pie. and In my opinion, it was the best pecan pie I've ever had. Still to this day, I think that. And the recipe that she had was really good. So here's a story she had from Canada about Thanksgiving. And then she's going to tell her story about how she got the pie recipe. The holidays came early in Canada. Thanksgiving is in October instead of November. It was much like Thanksgiving in the United States. We had the traditional Thanksgiving dinner. One difference was we had to kill and dress our own Thanksgiving turkey, so old Tom's head went to the chopping block. I think we were all most thankful to be rid of old Tom. He thought he was king of the barnyard, and I guess he was, since all the other barnyard animals and all the humans were afraid of him. He chased anyone that came into his domain. The thing was, he weighed about 40 pounds and wouldn't fit into Grandma Oki's oven. Grandpa cut him in half and froze half for later. I made my Kentucky pecan pie. I got the recipe at the hotel in Louisville, Kentucky, when I was a teenager. I suppose I should tell you about my trip to Louisville. In high school, I was president of the speech club. My friend Bradley and I had won all the competitions in our area, and we were chosen to go to state. Our speech teacher was a lady in her 60s. She and her sister had never married. They were very wealthy and respected in our town. They decided to take us to Louisville to the state competition. The trouble was The Derby was in town, but the Miss Bertrams managed to book us into one of the most prestigious hotels in town. I remember being nervous about my talk, which included talking on the radio. My dad told me the old farm horse out in the pasture was never nervous, but when those thoroughbreds were lined up at the starting gate, they were so nervous they couldn't stand still. He told me I was a Kentucky thoroughbred, and when I gave my speech, I'd be nervous, but I'd be a winner. When we got to the hotel, I checked in. I didn't know what to expect. We had three rooms. Miss Bertram told me to lock my door and put a chair under the lock. No TV, no books. I guess they expected me to study my speech. Bradley soon knocked on my door and we went off to explore the hotel. We were in school clothes. I'm sure I had a skirt with lots of petticoats and saddle shoes with anklets. This was a very fancy hotel. The men had on suits and derby hats The ladies' beautiful dresses. They were having a dance in the ballroom. We walked in like we owned the place. No one asked us to leave. Bradley got me a dance card with a little pencil attached, and it was still in my cedar box when I moved from Pocatello. On that trip, I somehow got the recipe for Kentucky Pecan Pie, which I shared with all my family. And that recipe is also on ToastyKettle.com and i'm going to link to that one as well it's just so good love her recipe for pecan pie and what a great story i just imagine the magic of going to one of these fancy hotels as a kid leaving the small town in the country and going to the big city and finding a way to to have fun and explore even though the teacher said stay in your room lock the door don't answer it you know like teachers normally do. And of course, the kids aren't going to pay attention. They're going to go out and explore. And because of that, we have this great recipe for pecan pie. I love that story. And the last story I want to share is just, again, going back to the homestead in Canada, and just to show a little bit of the relationship that my grandparents had. One hot summer day, I went out to the well to get a bucket of water. I saw my husband coming home hot and sweaty from cutting hay. He stopped by the well to get a nice cold drink of water. I picked up the bucket and poured the water over his head. Needless to say, this ended with both of us soaked. It was a fun ending to a hard day's work. One of the hardest things in this new life was being alone so much of the time. I came from a big family. I missed my mother and my sisters. One day at primary, they announced that the experimental station at Brooks was giving away tomatoes to anyone who would come and pick them. Since I didn't have a car, I was riding with Grandma, and Grandma Pearl and I headed to Brooks. We had not been able to grow tomatoes in our home gardens because of the short growing season. Everyone was excited. When we didn't come home, Grandpa was worried, but Delmer was inconsolable. They had no other car, and we had no phone. He started walking to town to find us. We met him on the way. He had walked about five miles. Now that it was harvest time, the men worked later and later, often getting home well after dark. Most of the wives would have had the milking done, but I had never learned to milk at home and my husband didn't want me to learn. He said I had enough to do. That meant he would have seven cows to milk when he got home from work. I did get on my horse before it got dark and bring the cows from the pasture. I could put the cows in the barn and give them their feed. I tied my horse to the railing on my back porch. I usually rode bareback since the saddle was heavy and hard to put on. One night, he was late. I put his dinner in the warming oven. The wind was blowing slightly, and a loose shingle made a moaning sound. The house seemed to have a personality of its own. I almost felt like it retained something of all the people that had ever lived there. That night, I was especially spooked. The old wood stove seemed to speak its own language. As the wood popped and crackled, as the wind blew, the lamps fluttered. To get on my horse without a saddle, I would take her to a stump in the backyard. When I couldn't stand it any longer, I got on my horse. To this day, I don't know how I did it. It was a beautiful moonlit night. I met Delmer a couple of miles down the road, and we galloped back together in the moonlight. I still remember every word he said. He told me he was the luckiest man alive, and I had no idea how beautiful I was with my hair streaming back behind me. The truth was, I didn't know where to get it cut, and no money either. It was down to my waist. As soon as dinner and chores were over, he would play the guitar and sing to me. He always substituted my name for the girl in all the love songs. To this day, when I hear these songs, I think they should have my name in them. So, I love I love that story. It just, again, calls back to a, a simpler time when things were just a little bit slower when your only worry was to milk the cows and and take care of the crops and and the homestead and much different from the frantic pace today with the never ending news cycle and the stresses and the worries and the drama that's always in the news and I I love hearing those stories because again it does it does help me when things get crazy. It it helps me to think back on those simpler times and to kind of get lost in that story for a minute. I mentioned that Delmer had passed away when my mom was six years old, and my grandma eventually remarried to a great man, James Tippetts. Now today would have been his one hundredth birthday. And I don't think I could do an episode on my family food history without giving a shout out to this great man. He's the one I called Grandpa growing up. He meant so much to me, and I have many dear and precious memories with him. He was kind, and he was gentle, and he always got through the hard times by counting his blessings. Perhaps that's why I'm feeling a little nostalgic today and thinking about my family history today. You know, Growing up, I remember the fresh produce that he and my grandma would grow in their garden, I remember the joy of tasting a fresh raspberry right off the vine. To this day, raspberries make me think of my grandma and grandpa Tippett's. I remember the pure delight of fresh vine-ripe tomatoes sliced right before dinner. I also remember watching my grandpa sprinkle sugar on them, even though they were already super sweet. I remember buying an old snowblower at a second-hand store Uh, that didn't run (laughs) and how he patiently spent time with me to help me get it running. And I never use the snowblower, but I keep those memories and I treasure them. Of course, I remember his quiet sense of humor and his quick smile. He loved his kids and he loved his grandkids and it showed. And he loved that his birthday was April Fool's Day. (laughs) And uh, with my son, he's been walking around with Out his front teeth and it made me think of a memory that I had with my grandpa I was at his house in Pocatello Idaho and I had just lost a tooth and I was walking around his house showing everyone that I'd lost the tooth and he came up behind me and he stuffed two dollars down my shirt (laughs) and then I wanted to lose more teeth and I tried to get more out while I was there became a much better money-making operation than (laughs) leaving them under my pillow at home You know, in today's world, none of us know how long we're going to be here. When we're faced with this crazy pandemic, it causes us to take stock of where we're at and what's most important. For me, that's family. While most of us are shut inside, again, I'm going to challenge you, like I did at the beginning of the episode, to reach out. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a parent. Reach out to a grandparent. My work experience with the elderly has shown me that they're full of tremendous stories, insights, and wisdom, and they're more than willing to share. All they need is a slight push and a listening ear. I think most of us will be surprised at the new stories we can gather just by taking time to listen. You know, these stories that I shared today, they're precious stories. I love them. It gave me insight into my grandma's relationship and, and how her mind works. And, and that's just a few of them. She shared tons of stories with me and I've recorded them. And I would have never had those stories if I didn't take the time to call her, if I didn't take the time to initiate that contact. And so make sure you don't let these stories die. Make sure... You take time to talk with those people in your family and get those stories. Everyone has a story. Make sure you find out those stories. Ask them about it. They'll listen. They'll tell you. And you're going to learn some great things and have a great time and a great experience doing it. can't think of anything better to do while you're shut inside and can't go anywhere. So again, thank you for listening to the show today. Thanks for letting me get personal for a moment and sharing some stories that are near and dear to our family and talking a little bit about my personal food history. If you like what you heard, please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It's really going to help people find the show. And make sure you tell something about it, too. You know, we're all likely bored out of our minds right now trying to find something to do, trying to find some distraction from that crazy news cycle. Introduce someone to the podcast. It's really going to help grow the show. Thanks again for listening. Until next week.